0: Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. We're so grateful that you found us. The JCBC Podcast is a collection of sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. Right now, we're in a new series. It's called How to Be Human. We hope if you're in town or close by, you'll stop in and join us at 11 o'clock Sunday mornings. Until then, subscribe and follow along. Grace and peace once more. To be all together in the same room, lifting our voices together in worship and leaning into the everlasting arms of our Lord. What a gift this is today. Yeah. Listen, I want you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be in two places Second Corinthians 11 and Second Corinthians 12. And like on some Sundays, we are going to work our way toward the text. And Then when we get there, we'll immerse ourselves like good Baptists in the water of that well, and we will live there for a little while. But hold your place in 2 Corinthians 11 and 2 Corinthians 12. Before we get there, just a word or two that I think may be very important to share as we are becoming who we are becoming in this world. And who are we becoming? Well, we are becoming who we have been becoming the whole while, the body of Christ. Attempting to live as the resurrected body in the world, embracing the world in its brokenness and its pain. And I just want to point out, you know, moments ago, David mentioned in our pastoral prayer the crisis in Eastern Europe and Ukraine, and we pray for that situation. But I want to invite you, I've learned this morning, that the Baptist World Alliance... Uh, has issued a call for all Baptists worldwide to be in the same hour of prayer at 10 o'clock in the morning tomorrow. Now you can pray all day long and you don't need an invitation to prayer to pray, amen? But sometimes there's strength in the solidarity of our praying together. So at 10 o'clock tomorrow, and we'll put it on our social media platforms to remind you, so in that hour be in a mindful state of prayer throughout the 10 o'clock hour tomorrow. Now, also, as we attempt to be the presence of Christ in the world, it's important to mention when we know of it, when JCBC members are mobilizing their love in the name of Christ. And I want you to know that on Tuesday, the day after tomorrow, uh, Dave and Anita Rich, JCBC members, you know Dave and Anita. Dave and Anita, would you mind standing just right where you are for just a moment? and, And, yeah, take your mask off for a minute so we can see your smiling face. That's good. Dave and Anita Rich will be leaving to go to Iraq to serve in one of dozens of uh, medical missions that you have been on in the past. You've been all over the world. But Tuesday, you go to three different cities over the next several days in Iraq, uh, assisting as a nurse, as a medical uh, aide in in surgeries, and Dave as the, uh, I don't know, comic relief. What are you, Dave? (laughs) Moral support. Presence of Christ. And I just wanted to make you stand for just a moment. I told you I was going to do that because if you will agree to be in prayer for the next, how many days? Next 10 days for uh, Dave and Anita Rich, would you just let them know by saying amen? amen? All right, thank you. We will be in prayer for you and you go with God's grace and peace as an expression of our own love uh, these next 10 days. You know, we're always attempting to do more than just pray but to put prayer into action. That's what mobilization is all about, and you've heard us talking about the mobilization studio. At the conclusion of worship today, outside of the worship area, there will be members of the mobilization council ready to help you sign up to be a part of this mobilization studio throughout the season of Lent, and I hope you'll take a moment to do that on your way out so that you too, over the next several weeks during Lent, may begin the journey of a deeper understanding of what Christ may be calling you to do for the sake and cause of his kingdom in the world. Now, we're going to turn our attention to uh, the word of God in just a moment, but can we offer a word of prayer to kind of turn the page and focus the consciousness of our souls here? Let's pray together. God, it is our belief that you have been worshipped thus far. It is our hope that you feel the same. Take the heart and the mind of every believer in this place and receive it as a sacrifice of worship this day. And even now, as we turn our attention to the sacred word, we yield ourselves to the power of your spirit moving among us so that in ways that only you can perform, we really are transformed because we came together for a little while. We ask that you would bless uh, not only the reading and the study of this word, but we ask that you would help us to find feet to our faith and put it into action this day. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you about how recently I had simultaneously the best and the worst day in the gym. You know, I don't, I don't play golf. I don't have some hobbies like some of you do. I wish I were good at some of those things. But I do go to the gym and just move some weights around and sweat a little bit and grunt a little bit and, and, and spit a little bit. And, you know, and get all the stress out and leave feeling better. And one day, a couple weeks ago, I decided I was feeling a little extra energy. I was feeling a little more aggressive than usual. I was feeling stronger than I had been for a while, so I thought I might try to push some weight like I hadn't pushed before, and I, I made a record. I hit my personal best, my PR in this particular lift, and I was very proud of myself. And the very best part of this story is it was happening at a time when the gym was crowded. Right on. And right over close to me, where I'm working out, there's this one I'm just going to call this young bachelor herd of these young bucks getting ready to go to school, and they were working out, doing their thing, making all kinds of of assumptions, I'm sure, about the old guy who showed them that day. I could push some weight around. So I was feeling kind of cocky, and I walked away from that area with my chest held high. You know, I was not only swole in here, but swole in here, right, right? feeling pretty good. It's time to go downstairs, get showered up for the day. So I go downstairs, and you know, some of you already know, I have an ongoing problem with my vision, my sight. It's a real crisis, and we're looking at it, but it's getting worse and worse. I can't see a thing without my glasses. Well, I go downstairs, and after this wonderful day of making my personal record I go downstairs to shower up, and I do. And then I come out of the shower, and I'm I'm wearing a towel, as you do. And I go to my locker, and in my locker is everything that I need: it's my clothes, my toiletries for the day, my shoes, and my glasses. Let me let me rephrase that: this locker, which is locked with a combination of numbers, okay. Now you're, and behind the door is my only way of seeing. I could not make out an eight from a one. I couldn't tell what a zero or a two was, and I'm not exaggerating. It was all a blur, and I couldn't open my locker, and I stood there, and no exaggeration. This is not pastoral hyperbole when I tell you. About 10 minutes, standing there in a towel, trying to figure out how to get into my locker. i try to look up close. i try to back up. I'd rub my eyes. Eventually... The bachelor herd came down. <laughs> and I'm standing there in my towel, and these young bucks come over, and I have to I've got to get on my, with my day. So I say to one of the guys, I say, hey, hey, buddy, would you mind helping out an old guy? I've got my combination halfway done. I think I didn't, you know. I think it's halfway done. Could you, here's my combination. And he opened it, and I said, thank you, buddy. Hey, was I close? He said, No, sir. (laughs) No, sir. I stood there feeling so embarrassed. I mean, so humiliated, humbled, exposed in a number of ways, right? You know what I was feeling? Vulnerable. Vulnerable. And as we've been talking in this study called How to Be Human, we've been attempting to look at every experience in the human experiment and how to live up to and into our highest identity as people created in the image of God following the truly human one who showed us the way. And I want to say to you as I'm thinking about that today that in God's good design. We are not fully human until we learn to live vulnerably. Until we learn to live vulnerably. Now that's not a message that we like to hear around here, is it? I mean, especially in the suburbs of North Atlanta, we don't like to become vulnerable. We live in some of the most vulnerable. Successful, capable, driven zip codes in the entire country and vulnerable is not something any of us aspire to embrace. In fact, when it comes to being vulnerable, most of us think of vulnerability as a thing to avoid at all costs to get away from it because we assume that vulnerability is going to bring on risk pain and injury embarrassment shame maybe even rejection if we're vulnerable everything could be lost and you know why we feel that way because it's true vulnerability does bring on the possibility of all those things so here's what we do we dress it up and we look good and we put on a, a face, we mask, we, we camouflage, we adorn our lives in such a way as to never let anyone see the vulnerable parts of us because that's unacceptable. And we will say, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine, I'm just fine. I'm doing great, wonderfully, thanks. Better than I deserve. Everything is wonderful. Great. How are the kids? Oh, they're just fine. Thanks. They're wonderful. They're great. They're better than they deserve. They are. Everything is just fantastic with them. Thanks. Great. Everything's wonderful. Okay. Right on. Well, It's been a hard couple of years, and every business owner I know has had a very difficult time, and every sector of our existence has felt the impact of, this, of COVID and this pandemic. How are you doing? Everything is great. Thanks. It's wonderful. It's better than I deserve. It's just peachy. Laura and I were at lunch with another minister and his wife about a year ago. It was in the thick of, of the pandemic, right? And I knew and I know what every pastor has experienced in trying to lead and love a church through a pandemic. And it comes with a unique set of challenges. So at lunch, I ask him, brother, how are you doing? And his answer was, "Oh, it's great. We've had more baptisms this year than we ever have in the last ten years. The people are joining. Attendance is great. Uh, finances are wonderful." And I tried to poke a little bit, a little bit further, and still I got the same kind of answer. And I'm, "Okay, we're going to do that. Okay, okay, check, please." You know, because I knew better, and I know better about that particular situation, and yet something in him. And something in me and something in you causes us to camouflage the most vulnerable parts of us. It's like we we build this walled city around our hearts. I mean, think about it. This is why prayer requests at church really rarely get past sicknesses and surgeries. When was the last time? I hope it has happened, but when was the last time in a small group or a Bible study or a Sunday school community you, you, you went to prayer request time and somebody said, listen, I need you to pray for me because I am hanging on by a very thin thread and if I don't get some help, I don't know if I'm going to make it. But even at church, we, we dress it up and, and, we, and we make sure that nobody sees the, the chink in our armor, the weak place, the Achilles heel. So we build these walled cities around our hearts, almost like the walled cities of the Old Testament, like, like Jericho. And that great city, it was described that no one came in and no one went out. And that's great because you can build a walled city around your heart and never let them see you sweat. Never let them see the weakness or vulnerability in you. And guess what will happen? You will predictably. Protect yourself from the fiery darts of any kind of threat like rejection or pain or injury or or shame or embarrassment. You can protect yourself by walling your heart off. But you know what you also do when you build a wall like that? You wall your life in, a life that is meant to be lived out. And this is the paradox of vulnerability. The paradox of vulnerability is this. Vulnerability is absolutely the birthplace of all the painful negative emotions that you and I could ever experience. Vulnerability is the birthplace of rejection and pain and embarrassment and shame, yes. But as Brene Brown reminds us, it is also the birthplace of everything good. Being vulnerable is the birthplace of love and belonging and empathy and innovation and creativity Everything that makes life worth getting up in the morning begins because somewhere, somebody, sometime decided to become vulnerable. So you muster up the courage to tell the other person that you love them and that you want to spend the rest of your life with them. That requires vulnerability because you know why? They could say no and you will be rejected and broken your heart in a thousand pieces or they could say yeah me too and everything could change it's the birthplace of that which is painful and that which is filled with great beauty being vulnerable being vulnerable is the birthplace of belonging if you belong to a friend group i hope you do I hope there are some people with whom you are doing life, but you understand that if you do belong, and listen, pastors have lots and lots and lots of friends, but mostly pastors have acquaintances, sheep who they love and who love them and have very few who allow them to be just human beings. Do you know to belong to somebody means you have to let them see your brokenness. And I have a small group of friends who allow me to be broken, who allow me to bring my shadows, my problems, my vulnerabilities, and they know the goods on me, but here's the, here's the scoop. I know the goods on them too. We both know where the bodies are buried, and so there's a belonging that comes, but it cannot come without vulnerability. Here's where I'm weak. This is where I'm not finished. Right? You know what else takes vulnerability? Vulnerability. Vulnerability is the birthplace of empathy. Brown talks about how we live in an empathy-deficient world. Would you agree that part of the problem of our great division over the last several years is because we have failed to teach one another how to have empathy for one another? We don't know how to feel what someone else may be feeling. It takes vulnerability to feel what someone else may be feeling. For example... There was a young minister who I know, and he preached one of his very first sermons, and he thought that it tanked. It probably did. (laughs) But he really thought that it tanked. It was just, I know that you wouldn't know anything about that here, right? Don't say anything, but... He, he felt really awful about it. Now, here's what I could have done to him. If I, I could have said, well, if you will just you know, keep practicing in time, it will get better. You need to spend some more time in the exposition of the text and spend some more time thinking and cultivating and marinating and curating stories and anecdotes. I could have given him all of that and, and left him in that place of despair and hopelessness. Or I could have done what I did which is tell him about the time I preached at French Broad Baptist Church in Tennessee. I was a college student. I had prepared for this sermon for weeks. That's what you can do when you don't preach every week. You can put it all in one. I was driving a 72 Super Beetle during that time, gold with a racing stripe down the side. It was bad. I built a seven-foot cross to take to that little church. Did I mention that I drove a 72 Super Beetle and it stuck out the windows as I got there and I got it. I I put it up now in the passenger seat of that car was my soon to be one day beloved wife. But at that time we were just dating. Laura Beeler was in the passenger seat and we go to the church and I put up the cross and I preach my heart out. I preach my guts out. I mean, I preached from that beautiful text in the book of Hebrews that describes how his sacrifice was enough once for all sin, once for all people, once for all time. And man, I covered that seven foot cross with, well, sticky notes, hundreds of sticky notes that represented every kind of sin. And I wiped them off and I'd say, You afraid your sin can't be. Free. And I'd stick it up there and I'd wipe it off. I was, I was waxing eloquent. So I thought. And I looked out into the congregation and there was this glaze. It was it is as if the, 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 the airplane, the runway, you know, was sitting at the tarmac. It was not taking off. And some of them were in this kind of like ecclesiastical coma. Some of them were sleeping. I promise you the organist was making a grocery list on the front pew. I'm not kidding. And so I'm looking around for some reassurance. And, and I'm preaching my heart out. And this is the best stuff. They, they, they just don't know it yet. And I look down to who would one day be my life partner, my, my wife, my spouse, my beloved, for some reassurance and for some comfort. And I'm preaching. And it's, it's landing like, like pearls before swine out there. And I look to her. And, th- and this is Laura's reaction. it tanked we got in the car i shoved that that cross back in the car we drove away in a, in a kind of a flume of dust behind and this is laura's response as we walk away as we drive away well i, I thought that went well you know <laughs> so i tell him that story and he's doing what you're doing right now you're delighting in the fact that you've met another human being who can fail there's nothing compelling about perfection there's nothing compelling about getting it right 100% of the time. What's compelling is to find someone with a courageous vulnerability to say, you know what, me too, me too. Brown says, it's like when her little girl came home in seventh grade, distraught because at lunch none of her friends would sit with her at the table. And worse than that, they sat at another table, kept looking over at her and giggling, and she came home just falling apart. She said, what I could have said is, Well, I bought you all those cute clothes. Why aren't you wearing those cute clothes? And pull your hair back and do something with your face. People can like you. (laughs) Right. Or, she said, what I would have to do really is get in touch with the seventh grade girl inside me who remembers so many years ago what it felt like. Or maybe last week what it felt like. And hold her by the cheeks and say, yeah, baby, me too. Me too. Me too. Vulnerability begets vulnerability. Yet we build these walls around us, and and none of these things can happen without vulnerability. Love, belonging, um, empathy, creativity, innovation, all the things that make our species amazing will only happen if someone begins to be vulnerable. And at the top of the list of all the things that cannot happen without vulnerability... Faith. Faith. So the Apostle Paul, who had a long resume worthy of bragging, a Jew of all Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee, he had all the qualifications on his CV that would impress anyone, but when he chose to brag about something, he chose to brag about his vulnerabilities. Watch what I mean. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 24. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked and for a night and day adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and Naked, you know, naked is just another word for vulnerable. And besides other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety. Because of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I am not indignant? And then here is the money verse of the old passage. If I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. That's absurd to my ears. And yet, the reason Paul boasted in all of those embarrassments and perceived failures and vulnerabilities is because he understood a truth that is as true for you and me as it was for him every scar tells a story every scar tells a story like the story i told you last year about the true story of a of a a woman who looks out the window of her her house and he sees she sees her son by the lake in in florida And he doesn't see the gator swimming toward him. And she runs out, but she's too late. He grabs the gator, grabs the toddler by the legs and clamps down with those mighty jaws. But the mother grabs her arms and begins to tug. And a a tug of war ensues as she battles for her child's life. A man driving by sees what's happening. jumps out of the car. He has a gun. He shoots the alligator. And the boy spends weeks in the hospital recovering. After he had recovered for some time, a reporter makes his way to the hospital to make a story about it. He comes to the little boy and says, can I see your scars? The little boy raises his legs to reveal the scars on his legs. But then when he was almost finished, he said, but wait, I've got some really cool scars on my arms too. Because that's where mom didn't let go. See, the the scars that we bear, our vulnerabilities, the scars that we bear are evidences of where God refused to let go, of where you were in a battle for your life. And though you may perceive it as weakness now to tell that story, those scars reveal not disgrace, but they reveal His grace how he hangs on to you when you think that life, of course, Paul is gonna brag about the 40 lashes minus one because right here, this is where I was beaten to an inch of my life and I thought it was over, but it wasn't, he came through. And over here, this scar is where I was stoned and every time I look and see that that mark, I remember I thought I was done, it was curtains for me, but I wasn't, he wasn't finished with me. And over here, this mark here, I got that during the shipwreck and it'll never go away, it'll, it'll always be there to remind me, Because Paul knew that the scars tell the story of God's grace being manifested in our lives. Don't despise your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses, they tell the best part of you. So he goes on in chapter 12 to continue with the same theme in verse 7, part B. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a thorn, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that he would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness, so I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities for the sake of Christ, for whenever I am weak, then I am strong. He understood that to show your scars is a way to reveal to the world that God's grace dwells in you. Everybody needs to know that they are not alone. There is power for someone else in seeing your scars. Yeah, You know, I've told you in years past, when I was a child, I had a major operation. That operation was called a diaphragmatic hernia. About three or four years old, they cut me in half. There's a scar right now. I won't show it to you. There's a scar that goes right here all the way around to the top of my back. It's, a, it's been with me my whole life. For a long time, I wondered why I went through that. They fixed it. There was never a problem again. My brother had the same operation multiple times over until his untimely death at 25. Yeah. I always wondered why. Until about the mid-90s, I was a youth pastor. And I lived in Richmond, Virginia, and we took our youth to a children's hospital to a waiting room. You could do that back in the day. We brought food, and we played with siblings who were waiting for their uh, brothers or sisters in surgery, and the adults talked to the parents who were nervous. And it was during the day when there was still a smoking section. Can you believe what we did to ourselves? And there's this one woman, and she's by herself, ashtray full of cigarette butts. She's lighting one right off the next and her, her knee is just twitching like, like, it's like you know, the adrenaline is just pumping through her. I sit and talk to her. Do you mind if I pray with you? Sure. Why, why are you here? My son's in surgery. Do you mind if I ask what, what he's having done? It's a very rare condition. And, and I, I'm afraid, I don't know if he's going to have a normal life. I don't know if he'll play sports, if he'll run. I don't know if he'll get married. And she was just distraught. I said, do you mind if I ask what the name of the condition is? She said, it's called... A diaphragmatic hernia and I said I don't want to creep you out but can I show you something and I pulled up my shirt enough to reveal my scar I said I had the same exact surgery years ago and I'm just fine and she broke And we embraced, and she wept, and it was a reminder then, as it is today, that vulnerability begets vulnerability. When we find the courage to show one another our scars, our weaknesses, then something happens between us. The grace and mercy of God are manifest. This is why we eat the bread and the cup. This is why we come to the cup and the bread, because we don't just come to bread. We don't just eat bread, and we don't just eat or drink the cup. We eat broken bread. And we drink the contents of fruit that has been crushed because there is nothing more vulnerable than a cross. He came to rescue us in the most vulnerable way, born to a poor peasant girl the subject of ridicule and mocking his entire childhood, he grew up and paid attention to those who were mocked and those who were rejected. And there he was at the very last, displayed upon a cross, beaten, bleeding, naked, exposed, vulnerable, for the sake of you and me.